Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Greetings and welcome to the Fourth and Inches podcast. I'm your host, Sukhdeep Pooney, and we're here for another special uh, with Roger Goodgroves with the Officiating Podcast, and we're into week 17 now. So week 17 yeah. is now in the books. The final strokes now. Exactly. And we've got the main man, Roger, here with us today. Roger, what are your sort of views on week 17 then? Um, well, it was an odd one, actually, because I, I was looking through for plays to, to focus on. And <laughs> my feeling on the week was that officiating was under a lot of attack. And what I mean by that is there were people complaining about the officials. Now, that's not unusual because yeah, every week people complain about the officials. Some of it of is valid. Most of it isn't. But this week it was odd because I felt like there was lots of complaints, a groundswell of complaints. But when I asked for specifics from people, people didn't come back with specifics. So it was obviously a feeling that their team was hard done by without actually being able to point to some key moments that really did, made the difference. So, mm. yeah, it was an odd one, really. Mm. That's it, folks. If you have a problem, you know, um, do give us details of any specific ones then that way we can talk about it you know um exactly yeah so uh, <laughs> yeah so anyway I've, I've picked a few plays and, and there are some people who have um uh, come forward and asked questions or said well why not and um what happened to here and can you comment on these so we, i've included those as well but uh, certainly there's not as many plays as i thought there would be when i sort of came away from sunday i thought well that's going to be a busy week coming up but when i look yeah. for the plays that made a difference there were a few educational plays and there were a few plays where things happened that were worth explaining, but you know, yeah. I didn't get that feeling that there was a long yeah. list of stuff that went wrong. So anyway. That's it. Well, on the positive, it means, you know, it can be short and sweet and we're still not plenty to talk about, to be honest. I'm looking through the list of plays that you sent me. It's still, uh, you know, a lot to discuss in week 17. Now teams pushing for, uh, you know, those playoff spots now where there's only so many to give out now. Um, so we're going to start off by talking about the Atlanta Falcons and uh, the Buffalo Bills. So a couple of um, plays in this game we want to talk about. But the first one is the um, Falcons punt, uh, which I believe went to McKenzie. Uh, he got hit by Avery Williams, um, one of the special teamers for the Falcons. The ball ends up bobbling all the way to the end zone. Um, and it's a case of which play, basically, is it a touchdown or a safety, depending on who gets the ball first, isn't it, Roger? <laughs> yes, there was lots to unpack in this this play. And and, and it was in the snow in, in Buffalo. It's cold. Your fingers don't work so well, so that the chances of, of of losing possession at some stage are pretty high. And, and this is a prime example of a, a play in that sort of weather. So what we had is we had a punt, nothing unusual in there, but the the punt returner um, 
grabs at it, and I'll use those words carefully here, and then the ball comes loose, um, ball's rolling around on the ground, as you said, and then it's recovered in the end zone. So there are a number of aspects to break down in terms of the, the rules that are in play in relation to this, and what can happen in different circumstances. So I'll take the game one, but I'll also expand on, well, what happened if type scenarios. Sure. So the first question is, does the kick returner touch the ball and muff it, or do they possess it? Um, so we've talked before, there's a difference between those two. So you can touch a ball, and that is a muff. However, in order to have possession of that ball, you need, must have control of the ball, not just be able to touch it, and you must have uh, feet in bounds, uh, etc., and time, and that magical element that uh, is often described as a football move. So let's take first things first. The punt returner does take possession of the ball. Now, that's yep. an important aspect of this play, um, or could be an important aspect of this play in terms of what happens next. So because the returner has taken possession, we're no longer in a kick play. We're actually now in a running play. So it's just like a normal play. However, let's just take the, the two scenarios because obviously when it was played out on the field, we weren't quite sure whether it was um, a catch and a fumble or whether it was a muff. So what, what difference does it make? Well, let's start with who can do what. Whilst it's still a kick, there are two things that are important. One is the momentum, sorry, not momentum, the, the impetus of the, um, the, the kick remains a kick. And therefore, the responsibility for the ball, if it ended up in the end zone, is still with the kicking team. Yeah. If, however, it's possessed and then fumbled, that original impetus of the kick is no longer there. And a fumble impetus is charged to the team that fumbled it. So therefore, we move from being a kick that could go into the end zone to be a fumble that can go in the end zone, and the impetus would change, and therefore it would be charged to either the kicking team on the punt or the receiving team once they've actually taken possession. So a couple of important aspects there. Yeah. So at the playing question, yes, he definitely possessed it. Then the ball was hit loose by a helmet, it goes um, rolling off towards the end zone in the cold weather, everybody's scrambling for it. And here's where the second aspect comes in. Obviously, we've then got to look at if it is now a fumble rather than a punt, whoever takes possession of that ball is the team that's going to be in, in um, charge of that ball who's going to take the next snap. Um, so it's very critical to know that aspect and secondly is where do they take possession of that ball and i was with looking at a mad scramble everybody's trying to get it there's a there's a, a couple of buffalo hands go on top of the ball but that isn't possession that's that's a touch a muff unless they've got control so the key aspect is then do they get enough control on the ball to be determined to be in possession of the ball in the field of play or in possession of the ball in the end zone. Now, other aspects of the play with that type of uh, 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 play, if it wasn't possessed and it was it was a muff, if the kicking team take possession of the ball, they cannot advance it. So they can take possession on a muff ball, but they can't advance. However, 
a ball that's then a running play and a fumble, they can also advance that ball. So again, if the opposition, the Falcons in this case, manage to get hold of the ball and pick it up, they could advance it into the end zone for a touchdown. So number of things coming into play um, in terms of the what happens when. So going through the officials' mind will be who's touched it, who's possessed it, which team uh, had the impetus on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. end result of this play is that a Buffalo player gets possession of the ball when the ball is breaching the end zone, so that all of the ball hasn't come out of the end zone or gone into the end zone, but it's still considered to be in the end zone unless all of the ball is out of the end zone. So quite rightly, the impetus of the play changes from being the kicking team to being the fumble, and therefore it's, it's on the Bills if it goes into the end zone. Because it's on the Bills and the Bills recovered in their own end zone, that's the safety. So quite a lot to unpack, potentially, um, but if you uh, monitor it carefully in terms of who has it, whether they're either touched or possessed it, and, and keep an eye on whose impetus is responsible for the ball being in the end zone, you can correctly determine who is either going to get the points or um, um, and whether where the next play is going to go from. So quite a complex one from a rules perspective, with also options should things go in a different direction. Um, the other thing we uh, just talked about then was if the kicking team um, get the ball from Muff, they can't advance it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if, if, if in the case of this one, um, it normally that means if unless the ball goes directly into the end zone off that Muff, they will never score off that for a touchdown. Because yep. if they get it on the one-yard line, that's the end of the play. So unless the ball's in the end zone, having been touched by the receiving team, then they can jump on it and then they would get a touchdown, but only in that circumstance. So too many too many rules in play when it comes to kicks. It's always yeah. the one that catches everybody out. No, 100%. Uh, I'll be honest, I was okay with that particular one. It was just a case of, you know, who had possession really to decide what it was, but um, great explanation there, Roger. Um, I'm going to go back and talk about the same game. So I know a lot of people would have seen this if they were watching Red Zone. Um, this was the Matt Ryan incident with um, the supposed touchdown and then taunting uh, with Poyer, I believe it was um, at the end of that play. So what what happened? Because yeah, it was so a detriment to the Falcons. A, a lot <laughs> of people didn't like this one, especially Atlanta fans, and I can understand why, but. Um, they were arguing that this was misapplied and, and they they were stolen their touchdown. Um, they weren't, and it was correctly ruled. So one of the rules, um, in a similar way that a quarterback can go down feet first to give themselves up, a player who dives to the ground, and do you remember we had that play not so long back where there was a question mark about whether the player tripped or not? So yeah. if you make an intentional dive to the ground... As soon as a body part touches the ground, that's not a hand or a foot, then you are down. You don't need to be contacted. So it's slightly different to a normal play where, you know, if you slip, you can get back up again and carry on. If you intentionally dive to the ground, as soon as a body part that's not a hand and a foot gets in bounds in between the goal lines, then you're down. So what happened there? Matty dived trying to obviously get into the end zone, but dives slightly too soon to give himself up and not get hit, he ends up hitting inbounds about the one-yard line or half-yard line. What then added insult to injury from the Atlanta point of view, having had that 
reviewed and had the touchdown taken off the board is that Matty decided that he'd just done a great play and he would get up and um, taunt the player who's um, he's just beaten to the goal line. Yeah. Now, if a play doesn't happen, um, so for example, the, the end of that play never happened because the play was over at the half-yard line, a, a penalty that would be like a five-yard, ten-yard penalty is disregarded uh, if it happens in that period, whereas a 15-yard penalty still counts basically stopping people taking cheap shots because obviously 15 yards is usually some sort of cheap shot um, and therefore you don't want to encourage to say the play was over therefore it's okay for me to take a shot because it's not going to count um, so unfortunately for Matty not only did he get ruled short of the goal line but then he added 15 yards onto that and starts at the 16 yard line for his next play <laughs> so Atlanta are upset about that but correctly ruled and correctly ruled both in terms of the taunting and it was short of the goal line and and correctly overturned by replay who could determine that in slow motion. Yeah. There you go, Falcons fans. You know, um, you win some, you lose some. And <laughs> from a Falcons perspective, it's losing a lot. But, you know, maybe your fortunes will change. I don't know. Uh, see what happens. I, I still like Matt Ryan as a QB, to be honest. Um, all these rumours about him going to the Steelers, I think he deserves better, to be honest. I think he deserves to see out his career with one team. He's uh, definitely someone who's kind of underrated in my eyes. Um, the next play we're going to talk about is a matchup between the Rams and the Ravens. So, funnily enough, um, Taylor Rapp is someone who I sort of got to know um, over the last couple of years, uh, just through sort of messaging, and he was kind enough to send my son um, some signed bits. And, you know, I was, we were kind of a bit, because he's also a big Jalen Ramsey fan. Um, so we were kind of like, Ooh, who do we, whose side do we pick on this one? But I think we're definitely in the Taylor Rapp corner. Um, what are we talking about, Roger? First of all, well, so, so <laughs> this was raised as a question. So what happens is it's it's the Rams' own huddle, and Jalen Ramsey strikes out at Rap, um, and people have said, well, you know, isn't that a penalty, either for unsportsmanlike conduct or for um, striking or whatever? Um, uh, you could say fighting. Um, however, the, the important thing to, to note in the rule wording is that the rule wording for both of those says against an opponent. And that's specifically stated in rule wording. So you can hit your own player and nobody's going to take any notice particularly, um, as long as it doesn't interfere with anything else. Um, and it has happened frequently before where, you know, team has... Um, for whatever reason, not down on each other and uh, a little fight starts, but it's not actually against the rules to hit a player on your own side. <laughs> so exactly. Ramsey strikes out a rap, but uh, there is no penalty due to be adjudicated. Um, so the people ask the question and that's the answer. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, same game. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, one of the final plays Um of the game, I believe this was, uh, the spike at the end of the game by Tyler Huntley. What what drew your attention to this particular incident? Well, I just wanted to quickly mention it, really. It, it More than it's a, a long one, it, this happens quite frequently at the end of the game, which is a team is trailing, they're out of timeouts, and they're trying to score. They 
often will be trying to pass. And if the quarterback gets sacked, the play clock is running and they have no ability to stop it by a timeout. So what they've got to happen is they've got to get all the players who've just run downfield for the pass back into a legal formation in order to spike the ball. So it was just a case of the mechanics of getting all that done in the time frame. And if you look at this play, it's a prime example of that type of play. Um, so you still have to have a legal formation um, when you spike the ball. And all your players need to have been set for one second um, prior to the snap. So the important thing is, from a quarterback's perspective, he obviously needs to encourage as quickly as possible the receivers that are downfield to get well back, get behind the line of scrimmage, get in a formation that's legal, and get set so that the, the center can snap the ball and they can spike it directly to the ground. And that they correctly did that here with three seconds remaining. So they got their final additional play. If they hadn't have got set, um, then obviously the time would have run out. Second thing in terms of a, an illegal formation worth noting is somebody who's on the line of scrimmage needs to be square to the line of scrimmage. So they can't just get to the line of scrimmage be facing the wrong way or facing sideways or whatever. If they're on the line of scrimmage, they need to be facing forwards. And you'll notice that the receiver on this play who doesn't have, um, isn't facing forward, but they are a back by definition because they're not on the line of scrimmage. They're a yard back on the, the end of the line of scrimmage and it's legal for them to be not facing forwards so that was the they, they did it correctly it wasn't wrong uh, some people have said well he didn't get set properly in position but he didn't need to be because he was a back by definition um so it's worth just pointing out the, the intricacies of time management when uh, when the clock's against you 100 and the next play we're going to talk about is uh, the new york giants and the chicago bears so um obviously we've talked about an earlier safety in the game between the Bills and the Falcons. So this was another incident involving Devontae Booker as they were trying to get the ball out of sort of, you know, near the one yard line to sort of break away. Um, what happened on this play then in, in terms of the Chicago Bears defence? Yeah, so what's important about this play, it is not necessarily the play itself. It's a fairly straightforward play. Um, yep. Chicago trying to get out of their own end zone um, and uh, basically failing. Um, the, the two important factors to, to mention, which I wanted to cover, were that a team is responsible for the ball being in their own end zone if they're in possession of the ball. So the team in, on offense have to make sure the ball gets out of their own end zone. Otherwise, it's a safety. So how does it get out of the end zone? Well, all of the ball needs to be across the goal line. So if you imagine it in reverse of how to get a touchdown, so to get a touchdown, you only have to have the nose of the ball touch the white line. And when you yep. go it into the end zone, well, the same in reverse, but all of the ball has to be out. So the, the tip of the ball has to be at least outside all of the white line in order for it to be in the field of play. Um, if you imagine it just, you know, just on fourth down, if it was a turnover on downs at the end of that play, it would be an automatic scoring play because they've already got the ball past the white line. So if you think of it that way, that's a good way of thinking about where the ball needs to get out to. And the second thing that was um, on this play was worth noting um, was that on the replay, there is a dual screen 
um, basically showing synchronized two individual views, one from each side or one from different angles. Um, now that's um, because the NFL changed their instant replay system in the off season. And they're now using a system called Hawkeye, which um, is probably famous yep. for tennis more than anything else. But uh, yep. they've expanded their um, their ability to, to do things with instant replay. And they actually have the technology now where all the camera feeds go directly into the officials replay booth and they get all of them instantly available to review. In the past, what it used to be, they, they would need often the the TV production to feed them the right information. So they would have a comms link to the TV production to the director and they would say, right, here I'm in replay. What I'm looking at is the receiver's right foot around the 32 yard line. That's what is critical in this play. And obviously then they're looking through the various different camera angles to see if they've got anything that includes that and then they'll feed it to the replay official. That's what used to happen. However, yeah. now they have all of the feeds, so they can literally no camera positions or likely camera positions because someone will be roaming and actually say, right, okay, this is what's going to give me the best angle in order to see the particular ruling that I need on this play. And they can pull that up directly. And they can also then, as, as mentioned, do a split screen. And um, sometimes you need to see whether a body part was already down like a knee or an elbow. And at the same time, in a different camera angle, see where was the ball at that stage uh, and sync those up automatically um, so that you know that what you're looking at when you see an elbow or a knee down is the correct ball position at that time sync. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to have that additional um, information in the booth and the ability to do it without having to need TV to get involved. Fantastic. And the next game we're going to talk about is between the 49ers, uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Houston Texans. So um, this was a Matt Harris interception. Um, the ball, however, came loose um, as he's sort of getting tackled. Houston appeared to recover the ball. But what's the end decision that's given on this particular play, Roger? Yeah, so uh, what I wanted to uh, concentrate on this play was what is forward progress? Because we have an interception, and then as the intercepting player is being tackled by what was the offence, the ball is stripped loose. So the question mark is, at what stage is the play over? And that's a critical moment, not just in this play, but in many plays. And forward progress is very much an art rather than a science. Um, it is a judgment call by the officials that says, this receiver or this uh, runner isn't getting anywhere. Their, their progress is stopped. And now they're in risk of being hit by somebody because they're a sitting duck. So the principle behind forward progress is to make sure the safety of the players, they're not getting anywhere, that their progress is stopped. Now we need to make sure that they don't get anything untowards coming in at them from a side or whatever. So yeah. it's always going to be a judgment call, but there are some things to help you decide whether or not you should rule on forward progress as an official. So if I'm against you and I'm trying to make forward progress and my legs are driving, you're trying to drive me back, 
The officials generally won't stop that. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. There's not really a risk to the receiver at this point or the runner at this point, and it's fair and even. There is no determination about one person as one over the other. Once you get a second person coming into the tackle, it starts to become on odds against the, the runner. Um, and if the runner isn't making progress at that stage, then the officials on the field will determine their most forward progress spot um, and rule the play dead. Now, two important things. The play is ruled dead when the officials decide that the forward progress spot is declared. Then they will whistle. So a lot of people have said, well, the whistle didn't come in or whatever on a forward progress play, and therefore it wasn't over. You know, play to the whistle. Nearly all plays are not determined by the whistle. I'll give you some examples. A runner steps out of bounds, the official will whistle. And they're saying, really just a follow-up to the fact that this player has already stepped out of bounds, if a player hits them while they're out of bounds and before the whistle, they're not going to get away with, well, the ref hadn't whistled. Same applies with a with you know a runner goes down and he's down by contact. As soon as they're actually down on the ground and have been contacted, the play is over. It doesn't need a referee's whistle to do it. Uh, same with a forward pass. When an, a forward pass goes incomplete and hits the ground, a referee will whistle it dead, but it's already over. And, and there are so many examples. Nearly all yeah. plays are dead before they're whistled. So the whistle is just really a, a follow-up determination. So the forward progress spot has been determined in the mind of the official already. They're then going to stop the clock, potentially, especially depending uh, on where it is and whether a first down has been gained in, in college or uh, whether somebody's out of bounds and driven, driven back or whatever. Those sort of things will be a determining factor. Then they will, sure. then they will whistle. Um, so they'll, they'll do their signals first and then they will whistle often. Um, sometimes they might do their, the whistle and then their signals if they're uh, the sort of official that has their whistle in their mouth. Uh, often you'll see officials with finger whistles. Um, now, there's a good reason for that. But it gives them a, a little bit of a thinking time between the time they think about blowing the whistle and the time they do blow the whistle. And sometimes a play can change in an instant where suddenly um, a runner breaks free. So, you know, is there forward progress? Was it really stopped? And it gives them just that second to, to actually consider it. Um, yeah. So anyway, so the whistle doesn't make it dead. The, the play makes it dead. Uh, the whistle's just a follow-up. So uh, in this particular uh, play, uh, people were upset um, on the um, uh, Texans, if I remember rightly, uh, who were the other team, um, because they felt that whilst the player intercepted it, for San Francisco, before the San Francisco player had gone to the ground, the ball was pulled out. And if you look at the play, the forward progress spot is determined when the second um, uh, tackler comes in and starts driving the um, San Francisco player backwards. So again, yeah. he's now no longer in control. He's, he's overpowered by multiple um, tacklers going backwards. Forward progress is therefore already been determined when he starts going backwards then the whistle comes in. That's that thing that confuses people because it's the difference between the time at which the decision's made and the whistle going. And it's the time the decision's made, not the whistle that makes the difference. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that, Roger. Um, great explanation. And hopefully that will, um, I, I mean, it won't, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we like to hope. <laughs> we like to hope that, you know, it would... Uh, make people sort of understand that you know you, 
the officials aren't against your team. It's just, you know, they're just making the right call. Um, the next play we're going to talk about is uh, a matchup between the Detroit Lions and um, the Seattle Seahawks. So Seattle Seahawks absolutely destroyed um, the Lions in this matchup. But um, Tim Ball threw an interception to Ugo Mardi, the former Duck. Um, you know, I have to bring that in, being a Duck fan myself. Gets a bit too excited with the interception and basically drops the ball. Um, the ball then bounces a few times and eventually goes out of bounds um, near enough sort of the one yard line. What have the officials given in relation to this particular incident yeah. then? So another good one where all those aspects that we talked about before come into play, whose impetus makes the ball go where? Yeah. Um, who's got possession? Are they inbounds? Are they out of bounds, etc.? So let's just break it down. So uh, the, the first thing first, Detroit throw a pass that tipped and intercepted. So that's the easy part of ruling. There's no question that the Seattle player gains control of this ball. It's a completed pass. Detroit are obviously now in defensive mode uh, and you have um, one of the receivers pulling the jersey of the Seattle player, um, basically trying to tackle him before he gets too far. He's not very far out from the end zone. He's, when he drops the ball, is about the 20-yard line. And right. so the Seattle player drops the ball. So we've got a rolling ball that somebody's going to try and recover. And obviously, Seattle wants to try and recover the fumble they've just made. Detroit try, want to try and get the ball back. Next thing to consider is we've now come to around the two or three-yard line when the two players are grappling for possession of this ball, but it's a loose ball. So we've got a couple of things that come into play. We then have another Detroit player come in to try and, um, sorry, is it probably about the, the seven-yard line when the, the fumble actually um, goes to the ground with the two players grappling? And then about right. the two-yard line, the Detroit uh, offensive lineman, I think, um, tries to recover the ball that's then still loose at about the one-yard line. So number of things in play. So if the Detroit player hadn't tried to recover that ball and it had gone into the end zone, the impetus for the ball being in the end zone was the Seattle fumble. So if he'd let it roll into the end zone and then dropped on it, that would be a touchback because the impetus is with Seattle. They're the ones that put the ball in to play a bit like, an, uh, you know, putting it behind the goal in, uh, in soccer. You, you sure. don't get to take it out again from the, 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 the kick from the line or whatever. Um, so, but, you know, obviously when you're trying to recover a ball, it's not necessarily the first thing that's going through a lineman's head. He wants to try and recover the ball. So we then just step back just a little bit in the play. Um, so we mentioned that the, the Seattle player who originally intercepted fumbled the ball, and he and the receiver who was originally being marked chasing downfield about the seven-yard line, they both try and recumber, recover stroke tackle um, the ball. I'll sorry, tackle the player and recover the ball. And while they're doing so, do they then slide out of bounds? And if they are out of bounds, do they touch the ball? Yeah. And that's critical because it's a loose ball at that stage. So somebody or some uh, thing out of bounds touching a loose ball will make that ball out of bounds. So that's the first thing. 
So that's the first thing to determine. And we'll let that one run just for one second. And then we'll let it go to the two yard line. And then the, um, the tackle or lineman, again, tries to recover the ball whilst they're in bounds and they muff the ball and the important word being muff there, um, and they muff it out of bounds about the one-yard line. So who gets the ball? So impetus of the play is still with Seattle because nobody else has taken possession of that ball. Yeah. If the lineman dropping on it had possessed it before that he went out of bounds, then Detroit would get the ball at the one-yard line. Of course. However, yeah. they muffed it, and it goes out of bounds at the one-yard line. So, who gets possession? Well, the general rule on possession is it stays with the team who had possession unless the other team get it. However, you can't just fumble it forward 20 yards out, out of bounds and get that 20 yards given to you. Because mm. so you could just the, throw the ball then, couldn't you, in essence? You could just get someone getting the ball. Yeah, so you'll get the ball because you yeah. were the one in possession of it because yeah. nobody else took possession of it, but you won't get the progress where the ball ended up. You'll get the point at which you fumbled it. And so it should go back to something like the, the I think the original, something like the 20-yard line when he originally fumbles it, or 25 maybe at most. Um, and that's where it should go back to, because uh, that's where the fumble occurred. Now, you will see officials will put a beanbag down at various times in the game, and they're marking spots. And in the case of a fumble, this is a critical marking spot because if Seattle end up getting the ball, somebody needs to know where did Seattle fumble the ball. Yeah. And that's where they're going to go back and get it. And if you didn't put a beanbag down, luckily, because they've got replay, it's not so bad. But in a, in a game without replay, somebody's got to know where that spot is. Um, so it's quite critical. So there's quite a few... Uh, impetus rules coming into play. There's, there's again touching one out of bounds, but the net result of this play is the line muffs it out of bounds at about the one yard line. But because the impetus uh, and the, therefore the possession of the ball stays with the team that had possession, unless it was won by somebody else, it goes back to Seattle, but at the spot of the fumble. Yeah. Long winded way of saying that Seattle keep the ball, but um, that's the reason they keep the ball. Um, this is why we have this show at the end of the day for those explanations you know at the end of the day it's a good breakdown of you know how these plays and why the rules are the rules because it's it's all well and good having the rules but also having an explanation as to why those rules are in place it makes sense for, for people listening out there and why um you know it, it's always changing isn't it and you will yeah. talk about it probably I, in the I mean season. if their team if their team is the one that ends up on the wrong side of that ruling um, you know, obviously Detroit didn't want Seattle to have the ball and vice versa. You know, the, the, as a fan, you feel aggrieved because you think, well, why didn't it go my way? But at least if you understand that it was not misofficiated, at least yeah. you then think, okay, it was in line with the rules and it's fair because everybody's got the same rub of those rules, then it's okay. And that's where fun, fans get particularly upset because they think that the refs are against them and um, they think, you know, the league is rigged and um, somebody's paying yeah. off the refs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, it's... usually not. Um, NFL actually is one of the very few organisations, I mean, until recently when they had a, a team in Vegas, the officials weren't allowed to go to Vegas during the season. Um, or be in a gambling arena. Um, mm. And even if they went to Vegas in the offices and they had to register with the league office, 
Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're very tight and they, you know, they yeah. have people monitoring, security people monitoring uh, all the time. And there's never been, touch wood, um, a situation where there's ever been um, a referee who's been on the take, unlike other sports uh, like baseball, where there the definitely has. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, NFL, generally speaking, I think um, whilst the fans may think it's rigged, I, I think there's a fair probability that it's not. Mm. It could be worse, could be, uh, we could be talking about the Premier League officiating here and would be here pretty much all day, Roger, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, having to deal with um, all those calls. Maybe something we could do in the off-season, Roger, I don't know. Uh, but I think we'd be here all day. Because um, that, that's one sport, When we're, this is why I love the NFL. It's There's a lot of it is, you know, sort of black and white in terms of play calling um, and, and officiating calls. Whereas with the Premier League, you know, especially when you got people diving left, right, and centre, <laughs> it's all about perception, isn't it? What you feel is right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I must admit, I, 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 for a variety of reasons, I wouldn't want to officiate soccer, um, right. not least the the players and their lack of respect for officiating, their lack of respect for the you know, the rules and um, taking the dive and stuff like that. It's just endemic within yeah. within soccer. So um, I, I'm so glad. <laughs> Yeah, it's like every week that's all we do is we literally, I, I'll be on group chats with other people just talking about whether that was a penalty. 50% will be like, yeah, 50% no. Whereas we're here, <laughs> it's black and white, you know. But uh, we've got one more game to discuss. So um, this is between the Cowboys and the Cardinals. Um, very interesting match, one that I definitely had my eyes on being obviously a Bucks fan, you know, seeing what, you know, the seedings now are becoming ever so important for the NFC. Um, so this was a, a drive by the Cardinals with uh, just under three minutes to go. Um, Kyler Murray tosses the ball to Chase Edmonds, who runs towards the sideline. Um, the ball then sort of bobbles out. The Cowboys on the sideline are calling for it, saying it's their ball as they feel that they recovered the ball. Um, what was the ultimate decision on this one then? Yeah, because well, yeah, a bit well, of confusion. This there. is an interesting one. And I want to step back, not just for the playing question, but the two players plays prior to it. Because right. Cowboys got themselves into a position that they blamed the refs for, but were actually nothing to do with the refs and were correctly administered. So I've actually pulled together the three plays in one on the clip that we've got yeah. um, in the podcast description. So let's just check back uh, two plays prior because there's some critical things that happen that put the Cowboys in a difficult position. So we have the first play is the Cardinals run to the right-hand side. Oh, sorry, the first play is the, the sorry, uh, um, not the Cardinals run to the right side, ignore me on that one, run to the left-hand side with a pass. And um, they they get, uh, if, if my memory's so near, a tight end, um, taking the play with the first down, about 14-yard gain. And the important thing that happens here, at this stage, Dallas have two timeouts remaining with 3.01 on the clock as the play ends. Yeah. And what's determined by the wing official is that the tackle for, from Dallas happens with the player inbounds. Um his knee goes down while he's being contacted by the Dallas um, defender, which means that the clock will continue to run. Now, Dallas realized this. Dallas go, oh, 
we need the time because potentially the Cardinals are going to score. They're already up by three. Potentially they might get another field goal. We need as much time on the clock as possible to drive down the field to get a touchdown. Or we might stop and get in there and we might want to get, a, obviously, a field goal ourselves to tie the game. So time is critical. And, and what happens is Dallas take a timeout, quite rightly. And they think, you know, play your landed inbounds. Therefore, we'll take a timeout, stop the clock at 3.01. So then the second play happens, and this time, going back to what I said earlier, the Cardinals run a play round the right-hand side, and this time, the again, the um, runner is tackled inbounds, and it's very close. Um, but quite rightly, if you watch it, the wing official is looking down the line and determines that the tackle actually happened just prior to the, the runner going down and then falling out of bounds. But quite rightly, they were touched inbounds and therefore the clock will run again. So we're now down to about 2.56 on the clock and Dallas have to take their final timeout in order to stop um, another 40 seconds running off with the play clock. So Dallas are now out of timeouts and this is what causes their biggest problem here. So on the third and final play within the sequence, we actually have the Cardinals runner who is going towards the sideline and is determined to be down, but Dallas stripped the ball out. Right. So this is why it's critical at this point, because it's now outside the two-minute warning. Inside two minutes, replay would automatically take over to review a play. Yeah, the play, yeah. But outside two minutes, it's down to coach's challenge. But in order to have a coach's challenge, you need to have a timeout that you're able to lose if you don't win the time, uh, the win the challenge. Dallas, with no timeouts, can't therefore force a challenge. So it is a close play on that third play. It's not an obvious mistake, like some people have said. Um, there are a couple of aspects within there. It looks like the, the Dallas player might tackle the, the runner with the back of the helmet but it's not really obvious that that has actually happened. He has his hand on there. There's another player comes in to, to make the tackle. So what's causing the, the, the pull or push? Uh, and I, I don't think necessarily it should have been ruled as a, a, a helmet foul by pulling on the runner. Um, second thing is, as the, the runner is going down to the ground, the ball comes out. Now, the wing official determines that the player was tackled and hit the ground prior to that ball coming out. Now, slowing it down in replay, it's possible that the knee came down prior to the ball coming loose, and it's possible the player's head went down prior to the uh, ball coming loose. And again, anything but a hand or foot or a, an, uh, a wrist and an, an, an ankle makes the player down if he's being contacted, which he was because he was being pulled potentially by the person on his helmet and being pushed by the, somebody tackling from behind. Um, but it's not a clear and obvious error. So the new replay rules where they can get involved in something that is clear and obvious where they can overturn it, this wouldn't fall within that. And that's an important aspect. So Dallas no longer have any timeouts. Dallas can no longer challenge that play. Replay can't get involved to overturn an obvious error because there isn't an obvious error. And in slowing it down, you can see that potentially, yes, the ball did come out before the runner was down. 
Um, but from the view from the person who made the determination that the runner was down, it certainly looks like the, the knee was down prior to the ball coming out because they can't see the ball so clearly. Uh, it's a view from the side that sees that, not a view from behind where he's seeing the knee go down. So unfortunately, yes, it, it may have been overturned by replay if, if Dallas had had a challenge. But unfortunately, because Dallas managed to tackle the, 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 the previous players inbounds, instead of get, letting them get out of bounds, they lost their ability to use their last two timeouts and therefore lost the ability to challenge. So Dallas feel aggrieved and feel like the referees were against them. There was a minor situation where there is a potential that it might have been overturned. It wasn't a clear and obvious error, which is what they're yeah. saying. Um, but uh, unfortunately, because they'd lost their timeouts, they lost the ability to challenge. And that's really what was the crux of the situation with them and not being able to actually... Uh, get the final uh, time and then Cardinals obviously could uh, could could run the clock out with the remainder of the the, the, the time running yeah it's unfortunate as you say but as it the Cardinals get the win and it's a matter of now they got obviously a chance now to still win their division uh, it puts the Cowboys below uh, the Rams and the Bucks in terms of playoff seeding so you know, little decisions like this can obviously go a long way, but <laughs> yes, I indeed. Think, you know, it's uh, it's one of them. If you've got no timeouts left, I mean, you can't blame the Cowboys either. In that instance, they obviously needed to use those timeouts. Um, you know, um, but it's it's that thin thinner margin, isn't it? Um, and I'm sure we're going to get loads more coming up now with the playoffs. <laughs> Final week, when it's on the line and teams are in or out, then yeah. people will look for excuses. So I, I have no doubt that there will be a few queries this week about some plays. Um, I just hope that um, all the officials are fit and healthy because uh, we had a few games this week where uh, um, some substitutes were made, uh, some last-minute uh, substitutes I saw that, were made. Yeah. Uh, happened and we had one game where they only had six officials at the start of the game um, and that's the first time well as long as I can remember officiating wise where they've not started with a crew of seven might have had an injury or uh, some medical situation during the game that meant them would go down to a six person crew um, but starting a game with six people is unusual so it must have been a last minute change yeah uh, and I think, yeah, we even saw some officials looking worse for wear during the games as well, didn't we? Um, forgot who it was now. Um, don't know if you might remember that one, Roger. Yes, I, I won't name names because um, yeah. they came back into the game and they, they looked yeah. fit and healthy. So uh, it was more yeah. the case of it was unusual that we had three games where we had time during the game where we didn't have all the officials on the field and that first time I've ever known three games have been impacted in one weekend let alone a game that started with a six-man wow. crew um, so yeah unusual week hopefully this weekend and there's um, a critical time for the NFL because obviously everything's on this weekend Saturday and Sunday uh, no Monday night football no Thursday night football so all the crews are required, so um, hopefully um, the, whatever injuries or illnesses that have impacted them will be over and they'll be all out on the field for this critical weekend coming up. Exactly. Well, there we go, folks. That wraps up um, another um, episode of the 4th and Inches Officiating Podcast. Um, week 18 now is on the horizon. Very much looking forward to it. Um, still lots to play for in terms of playoff places, draft positions, you name it. Um, also a lot of players playing for individual rewards as well. So 
it's going to be you know really interesting um how this all pans out um please send us um you know if there's any particular play that you want to talk about you know do send us uh information um and we'll certainly have a review of it um if you are aggrieved about a certain situation you know sometimes just giving us uh the court you know roughly a, a time of which quarter the the incident happened and the time we obviously me and roger both have access to uh game pass so we can easily go out and and obviously view the footage if we've missed it um also once again the links to everything that you we've talked about today will be on uh, the description feed so you guys can have a quick watch of them as well appreciate your feedback and any uh, comments you give so um thank you once again roger um and i look forward to speaking to you next week um but that won't be the last episode because you know we've got the playoffs to come now and as we've found, especially last year, the playoffs, you probably have a lot more to talk yeah, about. And yeah, more of a deep everybody's dive, eyes are on the same games normally at playoff time. That's it. Um, exactly. Whereas, you know, in a, in, in a full sort of um, normal weekend, there's quite a lot of games going on at the same time. So the eyes mm-hmm. are divided, get to playoff time and it becomes critical and everybody's watching every game. So uh, it does. yeah, a lot more, a lot more comments usually at uh, playoff time. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Roger. And we will speak to you next week. My pleasure. Take care, guys.